With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This podcast is brought to you by Most Valuable Podcasts, leading the league in podcasting entertainment. What's up? What's up, everybody? Ricky Whitmer here, along with the one, the only, Brandon Swanee Swanson. Hey, hey, hey. And we are back for another edition of the Primetime Podcast right here on Most Valuable Podcast, your one-stop shop for college football, for college basketball. And Brandon, today's a podcast where I get to say we have the best of both worlds. We have the <laughs> college basketball side. We're doing our first ever NBA Big Board for the 2018 NBA draft. Then we're going to end things up with the football side, kind of looking at the semifinal games that we saw last night, previewing the national championship game that we saw or that we're going to see on Monday. I haven't seen it yet. I don't have a time machine, so I couldn't do that. (laughs) But we got a jam-packed show for you guys. Before we get into it, a little bit of housekeeping. Number one, patreon.com backslash most valuable podcast. If you're returning, if you're new How you support us is Patreon.com. We have a $10 tier. You want to be on a podcast talking about what you want to talk about. That's how you do it. You support us. We kind of give you something in return and let you be on a podcast. We also have other tiers for for people who want to support us at different levels. We're also selling t-shirts, MVP t-shirts, $22 a piece. All that info is down below in the description. And last but not least, if you're on iTunes, you have an iTunes could you go please give us a five-star rating? It'd mean the world to us. It'd mean the world to also the Onside Kick, the Rick and Johnny podcast, and the Fast Break as well, who they, along with myself on that podcast, will have our first mock draft. So this is an entire NBA draft week as we have the big board. Later in the week, the Fast Break will have the mock draft. And how we do it is 1 through 25, Brandon came up with his big board, I came up with my big board. We've got kind of a way of just we split it up into three segments on YouTube. It's all one thing on Blog Talk Radio. We start with 16 through 25. Then we go 6 through 15. Then we talk about the top five on our big board. So, Brandon, I'm going to let you go first, starting with 25, going to 16 here in the first part. Who's your big board starting at 25. All right, starting at 25. Uh, do you want me to just say names? You go names. Yeah, you can just go names because I'll have the graphic up that has the school and everything. Gotcha. You, can, you know, if you want to, say what school they're from or if they're international. All right, sounds good. So at 25 for me, I've got Chemezi Matu from USC. At 24, I've got everyone's favorite guy to hate, Grayson mm-hmm. Allen from Duke. At 23, I've got Devontae Graham from Kansas. 22, I've got Shake Milton, SMU. At 21, Justin Jackson, Maryland. At 20, Hamadou Diallo from Kentucky. 19, Dezanin Musa, and he's international. I believe I said that name correctly, but not sure. Feel free to comment. Uh, if it, if you do know what it is and I said it incorrectly, please correct it. Uh, at 18, I've got Troy Brown from Oregon. 17, Wendell Carter Jr. from Duke. And at 16, Bruce 
Brown Jr. from Miami. And then we'll go quickly right into mine so we can get to the discussion. Starting it all out at number 25 on my big board, I've got Shake Milton, guard from SMU. Then I've got Grayson Allen at 24, the guard from Duke. Then 23, Justin Jackson, forward Maryland. Then at 22, and I'm going to mess this name up, so just like Brandon said, if you know how to say the first name, if I'm saying it wrong, please correct me. But Dizana Musa, forward from overseas, international player. Then at number 21, Brandon McCoy, the forward from UNLV. Number 20, 20 I almost said 29, that would have been wrong. Number 20, Trevon Duval, the guard from Duke. Then I've got his backcourt mate at 19, Gary Trent Jr., guard from Duke. Then at 18, Chemezi Matu, the forward center from Southern California. Then at number 17, the guard from Miami, Florida, Lonnie Walker. And rounding it all out at 16 for this segment, the guard from Kentucky, Hamadou Diallo. And Brandon, the first one we're going to talk about in this little segment of 16 through 25 you said it. Everyone's favorite player to hate, Grayson Allen. I feel like last year, if we would have had the big boards and started them last year, Grayson Allen would have been a lot higher last year than both you and I have him this year at 24. Yeah, I think you would have been. I mean, I almost I was I was doing this and I put him at 24 and I felt like I he I feel like he should be higher. Mm-hmm. And maybe he should. But I, I I think you're completely correct when you said if if we go back in time to last year and we're doing this same time, you know, a year ago, Grayson Allen is higher. Mm-hmm. Grayson Allen is higher. I mean that it's it's that's I think that's a pure fact. But Grayson Allen is is still a guy who is the heart and soul of that Duke team. Uh, I think that you can say that. You obviously have a, another guy there, a bigger guy, uh, with, with Bagley. But Grayson Allen has has really become a, a Duke staple throughout mm-hmm. his throughout his years there now. And he's he's done a great job. He's got a you can tell the guy has a lot of passion. He he may do some things that don't always uh uh that not everyone else agrees with. <laughs> uh but he is a passionate player. He's a good player. He's got mm-hmm. a great shot. He he knows where he's at on the court. He knows where to be at the right time. He knows how to position himself. He is a clutch player. He seems to just do a whole lot of things right for the Duke Blue Devils, and that's why you still have to have him on here and why, you know, through as we go throughout the this this season, maybe he can even jump up a couple of spots right now. My problem, I'm just going to start it with this. My only problem with Grayson Allen this year is that I wish that, now I'm going to say this and it might sound silly, but I wish he was a little bit more consistent in the way I want him to be. Because like when you look at his consistency, people might say, but Ricky, he's exactly what you want. He's a guy who could have a game like you and I and Dave saw at the United Center when he pops off for 7 of 11 from 3 and goes off for 37 points Crazy. against number 2 in the country, Michigan State at the United Center. But then he also has games where it's like if it's 4-11 against Texas where he went 2 of 7 in that game from beyond the arc. Or to me, the Boston College game where they lost where he only went 1 of 9 from beyond the arc in that game, only made a total of five shots, took 20 in that one. 
the reason why I say consistency is with what I've seen at his best, I expect to see the guy who's closer to that 37-point performance. Let's be honest. 7 of 11 from beyond <laughs> the arc and 11 of 22 from the field total, that game is almost an anomaly. Like, that's him at his best. But even if the even if the average was a little lower, that's what I would expect to see game in and game out. The thing with Grayson Allen, this is the only thing that I think that hurts him, is as you go through, I know for my big board especially, as I was going through it, just look at 16 through 25 for me. I've got Grayson Allen at 24. I've got Duvall at 20 from Duke. I've got Gary Trent Jr. from Duke at 19. I've got three Duke guys, and spoiler alert, I've got two to go. I've got all five of the Duke starters on this list from 1 to 25. That's something to be said about this team, that Grayson Allen doesn't have to go out there and do it all himself. If he has a night where I'm one of three from three, Duvall, Trent, Carter, Bagley, they got my back. They can pick up the slack. So one of the things that I've wondered with Grayson Allen Mm -hmm. is one guy who you've always kind of compared him to. I don't know if it's in terms of dislikeness. Okay. um, Christian Leitner uh, is is a person that you've compared him to multiple times. It's because he plays for Duke. But here's also another thing, though, though, too, that Mm -hmm. is, you know, is... Grayson Allen going to be that just college star or is he going to then be able to transition into the NFL like NFL I'm so that's where my mind is Ricky is he going to be able to transition into the NBA is he going to well, be Christian Leitner didn't the, then that's what I'm kind of mm-hmm. saying is that no that doesn't mean by any means that because well because this guy didn't this guy won't yeah it, it doesn't mean that but in the in the sense of how you've compared him and mm-hmm. you can see some similarities in attitude sometimes and you know just sometimes the way they've played but can Grayson Allen transition from being a college su- superstar at Duke and and make it big in the NBA can can he do that I don't know. The question, you know, it it remains unanswered right now. The thing that's going to help Grayson Allen the most, and this is going to be a trend that we see from now until we get to the NBA draft where we're going to talk about it, is the guys that can shoot the three ball well are going to be looked at highly, especially in my mind, because that's the kind of game where we're at. Like Christian Leitner, when he came into the NBA, completely different game. Like, the three ball wasn't what it was back then, what it is now. Like, now, Gold State Warriors, Steph Curry, every it's kind of like in baseball back when I was a kid where it's like chicks dig the long ball, Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa, Barry Bonds. Well, in basketball, chicks dig the long ball. They dig the three. Uh, chicks aren't the only ones. Uh, <laughs> fans, I think, in yeah. general, that's all they want to see. Well, they want to see those big plays. And that's what it is right now. So if he can continue to be a like I look at his percentages from three he's having his best season this is a senior season his best season from beyond the arc at 43 percent he's having his best overall season shooting at 47 percent upping his attempts he had more attempts in 2015 2016 but upping his attempts by two per game and staying around actually the same number about six seven 
threes per game that he was at last year, but he's not shooting more. It's not like I'm going to try to take more threes to up that percentage. I'm going to take the same average of threes. Maybe it's up by like 0.2 or 0.3, but my percentage is up nearly like 8 or 10 percentage points than it was last year. So that's something that I look at to be, it could be his biggest strength where the right team could be like, I want to take his leadership. I want to take his three ball and he can dribble. It's not like he's just a catch and shoot player. He can dribble with the ball and drive in. I'm going to make this new comparison. It's a little bit different because I think this player on the NFL side will go higher than Grayson Allen, but he's the college basket, this year's college basketball version of Baker Mayfield in a sense. <laughs> I knew you were going to say Just because that. of not off the field, not the tripping, not anything of that, just with what you said, how he plays with that passion, reminds me exactly of what we talk about with Baker Mayfield on the NFL side of things. Yeah, and, and Grayson Allen, at, you know, at 6'5", he's... He's a he's a big guy. Mm-hmm. He's a big guy. He's he's not on the he's certainly not on the sh- on the shorter side uh, at all. So I, I think that you know that that'll help him be successful in, in the NBA as well. But I I can see where you're coming from in the terms of passion um, on the court, uh, you know, and then on the field with the comparison to Baker Mayfield. Mm-hmm. That that's 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 for sure. But that's one of the things I like most about uh, Grayson Allen is that he is. He is passionate. He's very passionate about about his team, about his own performance, and I, I think that, that in my mind that goes a long way because it, it shows it shows that you care again not only about you know yourself and your own performance, but how that is trans translating into how well your team is doing. Then because you know for him and 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 Duke and the Blue Devils, that's a lot of times how he does is how well Duke's doing. So now the next guy I want to move into, this is another trend you're going to see in this big board is injury. There's a guy in the 16 to 25 range that both you and I have. You had him a little higher than I do. Justin Jackson forward from Maryland. He is going to miss the rest of the season. This was announced about a couple days ago just before the new year rung in. Um, The article I'm looking at is from the 28th. He has a torn labrum in his shoulder. He is... Not going to play the rest of the year. He's a guy that saw his mentioned three-point ball with Grayson Allen. Jackson saw his three-point shot drop from a team-best 43.8 to 25%. In only 11 games, I got to say that because I know people are going to say, well, he only played 11 games. What do you think this injury could mean for Justin Jackson, a guy that you and I have around 20. I think you had him at 20 and I had him just below 20 at 23. You had him at 21. I had him at 23. Well, I think that, um, you know, this is a probably a terrible thing to say, but maybe (laughs) the injury came at, if it injury was going to happen, maybe it came at the right time for him just because he wasn't having a great season. Mm -hmm. He wasn't doing well. And now you can look back and he can say, well, you know, look at my full season. You know, yeah. look at my full season of production. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I wasn't having a great season, but I was going to turn it around. And now, I mean, again, it's it, it really probably sounds terrible, but you mm-hmm. can use that excuse. Yeah. You can use that excuse and say, well, I didn't get a full second, you know, second season in there. Mm-hmm. So you can't really, um, 
you can't really knock me too much. Yeah, I wasn't doing all that great, but look at look at how I was, you know, defensively. Look at what I was being able to do, uh, you know, rebounding the basketball. Mm-hmm. Look at what I was able to do there. And I, I think that, uh, again, with what you said in terms of Grayson Allen, is that where the NBA is going, it's it's going more towards an offensive league. Yeah. But that, that's how every league seems to be going, is, uh, you know, you want more offense, more offense, more offense. Mm-hmm. And that's certainly where the NBA has been headed in the last couple of years. And that's they're going to be interested in how you are shooting a three, how you are being able to uh, make plays off the off the dribble and away from the ball and all those types of things. But defensively, I think that's also another big thing. And, you know, how, how is he, you know, as as a uh, as a ball handler as well, all, all those things are uh, definitely things you still want to um have there because if you you can find a guy who's a who's a good defender as well that's also someone you may want to consider the thing i love most about justin jackson at this point is it has nothing to do with first off the joke of because i know dave would be mad at me if i didn't make this joke his 7-3 wingspan he's a buck team wingspan that's the team that i think he'd fit on but the thing that i think is the most important thing to him is I'm looking here on SI when they're talking about Justin Jackson. And when I see the words potential glue guy, especially where we have him in our big board, because I know the big board isn't exactly like a, you know what, you're 23 on the big board, you're going to go 23 overall. Of course, teams get in, that's what the fast break is for. But when I see potential glue guy, when you're in this range, 20, 21, 22, 23, or below, you're usually going to go to a playoff team. You're going to a team, anything below 14, you're going to a playoff team, a team that was in the playoff. And when I see potential glue guy in your draft profile, I can kind of overlook the three percentage. I know that the thing that jumps out to me, I know it's only 11 games, but I mean, he was only shooting 69% from the foul line last year. In 11 games, he was already up to 82 And that, to me, is more important. Well, I don't want to say more important than the three ball, but if he never shoots at 43% again and it's more like upper 30s, just 40, I would take that as well if you give me the 80 or, or, or above. Like, one of the coaches that you and I know, of course, it's not at the D1 NCAA level, but he told me in a post game interview once that, if we're not shooting 90% from the foul line, we had a bad game. And that's why I look at, like, of course you're not going to get every guy to shoot 90%, but when I see 80 and above, when I see 82 from the foul line, I look at that and go, those are quality points. When you got to the line and we gave you freebies, you didn't just throw them away. You got those points. You made sure that whether it was a give me by the defense, like a foul that they shouldn't have made, or you drew the foul with a rough shot, you were then taking those points when nobody was standing in front of you. Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, that's a, it's a good point to bring up. And again, too, is that offense isn't everything. The Mm -hmm. three isn't everything. What else are you able to bring us as a team? You know, are you a good, you know, free throw shooter? How is your defense? Are you a good ball handler? Mm -hmm. How are you as a rebounder? Those are all other other factors because 
if you're a good team and you you mentioned it, if if you're at this point, you're probably going to be going to a pretty good team. Mm-hmm. Um, then again, you don't have to be a good team to make the playoffs in the NBA. But um, I think that you look at that and you go, all right, he'll have his role. Mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't need to be the top scorer. He, we don't need him to do this. What do we need him to do? What situational things do we need him to do? And the last thing I want to look at between this 16 to 25 range is actually it's two guys and it's one team. It's the Miami Hurricanes. It's funny because I had one of these two between 16 through 25 and Lonnie Walker. You had his backcourt mate, the other guy we're going to talk about within this group, that is Bruce Brown Jr. Both of us had the other one in the next topic in 6 through 15. But I thought that because of who we got coming up, it'd be a good time to hit this right now. These two are going to be very interesting to me because Lonnie Walker is a guy who had a slow start this season due to an injury, and even in the last four games, you look at his stats, you look at some of the percentages and um, numbers, and you're like, not that impressive. But you look at what Bruce Brown is doing, and you look at the last three, and you go, hey, you know what, he's really balling out there. He's getting boards. He's scoring points at the guard position. And obviously, Brown is more of the point guard, and you've got... Walker is more of the off guard, the two guard. What are what are your thoughts about these two? Because I think as we go on in draft season, these two on the same team, when we're talking Miami Hurricane basketball, it's a very good thing because you have two great guys in your backcourt. When we're talking NBA draft and we're separating them as individuals, I think having them in the same backcourt could hurt them because one could take away from the other when it comes to numbers and percentages. Well, that's 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 going to happen. Mm-hmm. So someone's going to lose out. There's only one ball. It's I mean it's it's going to happen. And you know, I, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing mm-hmm. because you're still going to see production out of both of them. That's what that's what you would see. I mean, you're still going to see both of them. You're still going to be able to evaluate both of them and see what they're able to do. I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Yet, you know, would you rather see a guy where he's on a team where he can just kind of be by himself and you can see exactly everything that he's able to do? Maybe, but I, I still don't necessarily see it as a negative. Uh, however, Lonnie Walker, I, it's a shame that it's been such a slow start because of uh, the injury that he had in the offseason. But this guy's got extreme talent. Mm -hmm. Uh, He is a a true athlete. I think that he'll be able to get it going. At least you'd like to believe that he'll be able to do that. Uh, You know, coming back from a meniscus tear is always uh, a difficult thing to be able to do. But Bruce Brown, too. I really like what he's been able to do, especially transitioning into the point guard position, which is not always an easy position to be able to play. Uh, obviously, being the point guard is much different than just being, you know, your normal run of the mill guard. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, point guard running running that offense is is different. Uh, there's you know a different piece there, but with Brown, he's got the size, he's got the strength. Um, and another thing is that he's able to generate 
turnovers and be able to bring them then for Miami on the offensive side, mm-hmm. you know, get them in transition, be able to score points that, that that way. So both of these guys, they they certainly have their positives. And I, I think that you could probably interchange them from from where I had them um, and, and, and kind of even flip flop them. The interesting two between them, and I didn't even notice this one putting the big board together. However, I'm glad I have them how I had them falling with Bruce Brown Jr. being above because Lonnie Walker is only a freshman. So you look at that and you go, the thing that hurts with the injury is like we talked about Justin Jackson with an injury. He can at least say, look, you can see my last season. You can see what I have with a full season. With Lonnie Walker, it's not like he's missing time in the regular season, but because tearing your meniscus over the summer, you it's affecting you early on, and yeah. he's not the same player. How I see these two right now, and of course this is number one, big board number one, a lot could change by the time we get to June in the NBA draft, but what I see right now as a snapshot is with Lonnie Walker, he's a guy that I'm drafting to, he's not going to be my starter. He's a guy that I'm drafting to be a bench player, especially right now, rookie season, a bench player off my bench to be a three and D guy. Basically, I'm putting you out there for three pointers and defense. However, you look at his backcourt mate and Bruce Brown Jr., he's the guy I would draft as. If I let's say I'm a team in this range and I need a point guard, I would go ahead and feel strong drafting Bruce Brown because he is a point guard that has size at 6'5", and he's a point guard who can defend multiple positions. And what I think of is, like you said, making the transition over to point guard. What if I don't need him to play point guard and I need him to play shooting guard? You can draft him have him play that position, and because he can defend multiple positions, it kind of, off the top of my head, makes me, I'm going to compare to the Golden State Warriors because they're the standard, they're the golden standard, pun intended, of the NBA, and you look at what they have in Clay Thompson. Clay Thompson's the guy to where it's, you know what, before Kevin Durant got there, Steph does most of the scoring, yeah, Clay can shoot from three, but we're going to put Clay on your best guy. And Clay's going to, his job is going to be shutting down your best guy. Now, Kevin Durant comes, and of course, like Kevin Durant's going to put, be put on LeBron James, and it allows Clay Thompson to take away the second best player on teams at some times. But that's what I can see Bruce Brown Jr. developing into a guy that, yeah, I can use him as a point guard, but you know what? I'm just going to draft him as a two guard and just develop him defensively to where he's my eventual guy at the two to where it's like we're putting you on the best guy every night to limit them and shut them down so that we can have a chance to win this game but getting to the end of this do you have any final thoughts before we move on to six through 15 no i think we got it well this is where you guys come in if you're on youtube let us know what you think of 16 through 25 let us know what you guys think down below in the comment section. But Brandon, let's move on. Second second segment going 6 through 15 now for our big board. And I'll let you go first. Take us through 6 through 15, starting with your guy at number 
15. And number 15, I've got Mitchell Robinson, uh, center out of uh, Calumet High School, Louisiana. No, uh, did not go to college. He's going to head uh, straight to uh, the NBA from there. Um, at 14, Lonnie Walker from Miami. At 13, Trevon uh, Duval from Duke. At 12, Michael Bridges from Villanova. At 11, Kevin Knox from Kentucky. At 10, Miles Bridges from Michigan State. At 9, Robert Williams from Texas A&M. At 8, Jaron Jackson Jr. from Michigan State. At 7, Colin Sexton, Alabama. And at 6, Michael Porter Jr. from Mizzou. And I mean, we'll roll right into mine. And starting off at 15, I've got the backcourt mate that we talked about in the last segment of guard from Miami, Bruce Brown Jr. Then at number 14, the forward slash center from Duke, Wendell Carter Jr. Then at 13, guard Oregon, Troy Brown. At number 12, the forward slash center from Texas A&M, Robert Williams. At 11, the forward from Kentucky, Kevin Knox. Number 10, forward Michigan State, Jaron Jackson Jr. Then at number 9, guard Villanova, Michael or Mikhail or Michael? Is it Michael or Mikhail? Thought it was Michael. Michael Bridges. That's what we're going to go with if we're wrong down below in the comment section. Then at number eight, guard from Alabama, Colin Sexton. At seven, the center from Texas, Muhammad Bamba. And then at number six, forward Michigan State, Miles Bridges. And the first person I want to look at in this one, only because A, he's a player that I know that we talked about last year on the mock draft side for the fast break. Like, oh, he could come out, he could go here, and then he ended up not coming out. He went back to Texas A&M, and that is sophomore Robert Williams. And the reason, another reason why I wanted to bring this up is I had him at 12. You had him all the way up at 9. And I know it's only a three-person kind of differential, but on a big board, three to like once you get three, four, five – that starts getting into the range where it's like, whoa, that's a pretty big jump on big boards. What made you put Robert Williams, the sophomore, so he's not a freshman, at number nine? Okay, well, Ricky, I, the reason I've got him where I've got him is because I think that he doesn't get as uh, much credit as he does for being the the type of quality passer that he is. I think that uh, he's a guy who's got a nose for the basketball. He's able to go out there and get it around the rim. He's been one of the strongest players, I think, um, for, for A&M and in, in that conference. So that's where I kind of, you know, you you look at everyone else that you've got around this this 9 to 12 or even, you know, 5, five, five to 10, really. You look at those types of guys, and uh, he's he's one I thought that fit well at number 9. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm a guy, and Ricky, you know this, I don't necessarily put a whole lot of stock into a, a first big board mm-hmm. um, uh, because these could all change. We said the same thing when we were looking at college football. It could do the same thing right now, and, mm-hmm. and I think – that when you're looking at nine through twelve, there are you can intertwine, interchange rather guys um, fairly easily. I, I think that you can do that. I think that you may have said that you don't believe you can. I think you could. Well, the thing that I look at, and this is going off of what you said with the big board 1.0. Basically, think about it this way. And we got Mark Weber off camera who can tell me if I'm right or wrong because he actually does this. It's kind of like writing a song. 
to where that first thing you put pen to paper, you write it, that's obviously not going to be your final cut. It's not going to be the final version you go with. This is what this is. Us putting names to a paper, and then we see them play in conference play. Okay, two, we change it. Okay, we see them play in the tournament. We change it. Oh, we see them at the combine now, and we change it again. So this is just kind of a first thing. And for me, the thing I look at, especially with Robert Williams, is two things. Number one, you guys are going to learn. If you're new to either the primetime podcast or the fast break and you're new to our draft stuff, you're going to learn very easily that when it comes to big men, I don't take a lot of stock in big men. And the reason why is, yes, if you have a guy like Draymond Green at the next level, if you got a guy like what Clint Capella is doing right now with the Rockets, if you have a guy like Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins, your team should be a playoff team. However, what are the positions that impact the NBA the most? I'll give you just players. Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, LeBron James, Kyrie Irving, Isaiah Thomas. These are guys we talk about all the time. Notice how none of them are power forwards and centers. They are all in the backcourt, LeBron James being the only hybrid because he can play whatever position he wanted out on the court because he's the best player in the NBA. So with Robert Williams, I sit there, and for me, why I have him so low is just other guys' stock that I have in front of him. I like Kevin Knox a little bit better. I like Jaron Jackson Jr. a little bit better. I like what bridges both of them bring to their teams from Villanova and from Michigan State. Colin Sexton, you can't disregard what he's doing. To me, there's only three big men in this draft that you really can't knock out of the top ten, and that's Bamba, Bagley, and Aiton, two in the top five. And for me, uh, Bamba, uh, Bamba is seven. However, that's how, why I have him outside the top ten. Another thing I look at, and I'm going to say up front, this is kind of an unfair comparison because you had Clint Capella, and I brought him up for a reason because when you look at, like, for example, the SI article I read about Robert Williams, they say right at the end, and I quote, there aren't many college bigs who play above the rim, blah, blah, blah. Potential as Clint Capella style five man. And I look at that and it's separating in my head is still a little tough of Clint Capella right now. What we are seeing this season is not the Clint Capella that we saw his rookie year when he only played 12 games or his first full season in 2015, 2016. But the difference, and this is the flip side between that comparison, is Clint Capella was a completely different player. He came from overseas, wasn't the same type of player that you might get from Robert Williams coming out of Texas um, A&M. The things that I think that he can improve, though, and I mean this goes with big men in general, is foul shooting. Like I mentioned it. With Justin Jackson, 82%, cool, I'll take that. But when I'm looking at you and you shot 59% last year where it's like, okay, I guess I'll take it from a big man, but I would like better foul numbers, especially when no one's putting hands in your face. This year he's only he's gone down one attempt per game, and he's shooting over, I'm doing math in my head, over 10 percentage points worse. He's at 44% on 
this year from the foul line. I love that you're playing at the rim, you play above the rim, you get yourself involved in plays, but I look at that and it's like, I don't care if you're shooting 58 from the field. If you get fouled, because that's also something in the NBA, if you're shooting 44 from the line or less, I'll just hack-a-shack you all day and send you to the line. Then it doesn't matter what you're shooting from the field. Well, you know, I, I think that another reason, so I have him at nine, mm-hmm. and uh, there's there's people who have him higher than, yeah. than, than nine. Well, the SI one I'm looking at, they have him at seven, which is higher than nine. And I, I think that, you know, some sometimes, and whether it's good or whether mm-hmm. it's bad, you know, people will place players at a spot because they know what their potential can yeah. be. Um, and I think that that could be one right here for, for Robert Williams. And of all the good things that Williams has done— he has taken kind of a back seat, uh, I think, on this Texas A&M team that's been a successful Texas A&M team so mm-hmm. far this season. And what is it that he's going to do that's going to kind of put himself out of, above the rest? What is going to separate him on his own team? Mm-hmm. You know, something that we talked about when we talked about the two guys from Miami, yeah. you know, in, in their backcourt. What is he going to be able to do? And I think that's when that potential comes in. You know, he's got the potential to be able to do it. We know he's mm-hmm. got it. We've What we've seen, we like on the like side. What we've seen and disliked, you know, he can change that. He's got the potential to change that, to better that, to improve there. But I think that that's kind of where I put him, why I put him at number nine on on my board. The thing that hurts the most, and I'm looking at his game by game, is I'm going back to the foul shooting really quick. What hurts the most is when you look at it as just an overall percentage. 44 is not good. But then when you look at it to where it's like the most he's ever taken in a game is seven. Besides that, the most he's ever taken in a game is four. The thing I hate is when guys, you don't get to the line a lot, but you're like, oh, of one, oh, of one, one of two, one of three, oh, of two. I hate that because then it's like, you know what? If you're going to the line a lot, you can miss a couple. Because you're kind of offsetting it, and we're not going to expect you to make all of them, even though in a perfect world we would. But when you're going, because like to me, I see on a stat sheet, O of 1, and for a big man, I'm thinking, okay, what probably happened, you went up for a basket, got hit, you made the basket, but you didn't complete the three-point play. And I look at that as possible points that you're leaving off the board. Another thing I look at just this season yeah, he's missed four games this year so far. However, the first two he came out with against Oklahoma State and Penn State, those are games that I'll take. I'll take double-double games, 11-11 and 11 with points and rebounds in game one, 21-10 and 10 in the second one. And the rebounds are still there. He's never had less than seven in a game. But there was just, after that Penn State game, a huge drop-off in points where he went down to four, 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 four. And I know that didn't hurt the team side of it where you can kind of balance like, okay, maybe he's a guy that doesn't need the score. He can impact the game in other ways without having the ball in his hand. However, I also look at that and go, I I would like to see more scoring, even though I do get the side people are going to bring up. Well, Ricky, He's a big man. He doesn't have to impact the game every single night by scoring. 
I, I know people are going to say that. But one thing I want to move into is a guy that both you and I have talked about, and we talked about him two weeks ago, and that's Miles Bridges. The thing I want to look at, I have him at six. I really like Miles Bridges. I love what he play brings to the game. I think he should have came. I think he could have came out last year and been a top lottery pick in the NBA draft, a solid lottery pick or even like top lottery pick, not top five, but in there. I have him at six. You have him at, I'm just getting it right, 10. What made you what made you put Miles Bridges all the way down at the 10 spot on the big board? I wouldn't say <clears throat> having him all the way down at the 10 spot on the big board. I thought that it was right to still have him at mm-hmm. the number 10 spot, but I do think that we've seen I would have had a problem if you had him outside the top 10. So I'll give you have him at 10 as a is a if you would have had him 11 or below we might have had a fight here on the primetime no, podcast. No, well, well, which has happened before. But yeah, I, I think many that, times. I, I think that um, a discussion, not a fight. Um, <laughs> the airing of grievances. <laughs> uh, so what I what I think when I look at Miles Bridges is I see a player, and I said this when we talked about him, just talking about him mm-hmm. uh, on one of the, our, our our last podcasts a couple of weeks ago. Is I really like him. I like why he didn't come out last year. Um, you know, kind of going through the whole thing with you know his mom saying, mm-hmm. "Well, you need to come out because it, you know all the money." He's like, "Mom, I'm not doing it for the money." You know, I like college. I I'm enjoy what I'm doing game. there. I'm doing it for the love of the game. You know, I, but uh, he's a gamer. I, I, I but I like that. But that's one of the that's literally one of the things that I have right here. That a he's tr- a gamer, a true competitor. Oh, okay. He's a true competitor. I didn't say he's a gamer, okay. but it's the same thing. It's the same thing. Synonymous. <laughs> um, that but that's true. I, mm-hmm. He's a he's a true competitor. He's a guy who works hard. He has a ton of passion for the game. He is really good. Good. Um, but I think that he has dropped off a little bit from last year, and, and that's not a knock to him. It's just if you look at his stats, he's he's just a bit down, mm-hmm. it seems, in a, in a couple of them. His free throws are phenomenal. Yeah. Um, he's done a really good job, but I, I think another thing is, is that many are going to question the consistency of his jump shot and how well he'll be able to create plays off the dribble. Those are things that people are going to question him on. Will he be able to do that? They're going to look back at his tape and see that there's been times when he's struggled to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. And is it something that's like going to plague him? No, I don't think so. Um, If I thought that, he'd he'd be down outside the top 10. He would have been in our first segment. But but that's why I had to put him inside the top 10, and I thought 10 was a perfect spot to be able to place him. I'll give you a hint. What stat do you think I'm going to bring up when it comes to Miles Bridges? I've already brought it up twice here on the podcast in total. I don't know. Free throws. Free throws. 90% from the field. It upped his foul shot, and he's. I get he's taking one less, virtually one less free throw per game this year than last year, but he upped his foul shooting from 68% to 90%. And I don't remember who said it, but I got to give credit to... The first time that someone had brought that to my attention was in that Miles Bridges video that we did on YouTube in the comment section. Someone brought that up. So giving you credit, can't remember off the top of my head who said it. But the Miles Bridges situation is kind of a similar one in a way to our Lonnie Walker, Bruce Brown situation, except the names change from Miles Bridges to Jaron Jackson Jr., where you have Jaron Jackson Jr. who... Adds 10 points a game, 7 rebounds, and like we mentioned in that Miles Bridges segment from two weeks ago, 
when you add a guy like Jackson in, of course that's going to take away some stats from Miles Bridges. He's not going to put up as many numbers. However, he is averaging one more point per game. The rebounds is where he went down, um, averaging about one less rebound per game. The thing I love most about Bridges and why I have him so high is what you touted, the competitor. He's a guy that's going to go out there and give you everything that you want. However, and this is something I'm going to bring up only because yesterday during the Rose Bowl game, um, I was talking to some fans on Twitter about drafting and mainly about Bulls drafting because if you know if you don't know you're new, I'm a huge Bulls fan. That's hard and to I do. Love, it's hard to do love these love to talk about the Bulls every chance I get. And we're going back on Bulls drafting. Miles Bridges became the <coughs> turn of the um, topic because the question was how high would you take him? Basically, how high would you spend a pick on Miles Bridges in Outside the top three, anything like outside the top three, anything is game, but really anything outside the top five is fair game for me for Miles Bridges. The only thing I I don't want to say this as like a worry, but this is my Bulls fandom coming out. So I'm going to rant a little bit, well, a little soapboxy, but like the Bulls, when people bring up like, oh, Miles Bridges is the Bulls. I worry almost like the same as like Denzel Valentine. When we talked about Denzel Valentine being that senior leader and what he's going to add to a team, and we haven't really seen in the NBA what we expected Denzel Valentine to be. There's a part of me, and I get that it's the theme of the podcast, different players. You can't compare Grace Allen to Christian Leitner because they're not the same player. You can't compare Denzel Valentine to Miles Bridges because they're different players, but there's a worry to me, especially when you've got that, hey, his jump shot might be off, because that's something that we've seen Ben Simmons in the NBA now, shooting with the wrong hand. Everyone can see it, but Ben can't see it. Or you see, like, Buddy Heald, where in college he was like, hey, I'm going to switch and shoot with the right hand, and then he ups his percentage. He gets drafted really high. Wooden Award winner, put some respect on that name. But also with bringing it back to Bridges, that's the thing. That's the only worry I have is, and again, it's bringing out that bull side of it because I was talking Bridges to Bulls draft. But like, if he can't get that jumper solidified, is the being a competitor and having that fire, is that A going to be enough and B, will it translate? Well, not will it translate at the next level, but... Will we be expecting too much from Miles Bridges and basically hyping him up is what I'm trying to get across and trying to say. Well, here's one of the things is that you could look at it in a reverse sense is, Mm -hmm. okay, everyone was so excited for him to go last year. Okay, he's going to go. He's going to go. He's going to go. He doesn't go. And then everyone's falling off on him. Now everyone's falling off. Now, Now everyone's falling off on him. You know, in a sense, mm-hmm. and, you know, when we say everyone, not we clearly like don't mean everyone. Yeah. And, you know, you don't say that you've fallen off on no, him. But, I haven't. But, but people um, are, aren't, aren't touting him as much because mm-hmm. they're touting guys like Bagley and other, you know, other mm-hmm. guys um, because they're new on the scene and they're, it's the new shiny object that we all, you know, go towards. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe that's good for Bridges. Yeah. You know, you could look at that as a really good thing. People looked at last mm-hmm. year, oh, he's going to go out, you know, come out and he's going to go to the NBA. That's great. Perfect. 
but he stays. And I think that surprised a lot of people. And now that he stays and he is to some an afterthought mm-hmm. um, in, in, in a certain sense, maybe this is good for him. And he comes out and he shows people, hey, guys, I, I'm good. I'm good. You know, you 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 were going to probably overhype on me last year. Mm-hmm. Now you've underhyped it. And here I am. Well, it kind of reminds me, I don't remember where I heard this, and I don't remember if I heard this about NBA or NFL mock drafts or just draftees in general, but the point is, it's when you go back, whether you're a junior in football going back for your senior year or you're a freshman going back for your sophomore year in college basketball, basically what you are doing is you are giving scouts, you are giving NBA teams more footage to potentially, if you're one of those players that is overhyped, to potentially find holes in your game, find weaknesses in your game that they didn't see the first time around. You're basically giving them a bigger sample size of games to see where teams that were really high on you last year might go, you know what, let's think about it because... I noticed this this time around that I didn't notice the first go around. Well, I think it's interesting that you bring that up because Mitchell Robinson, who I had had at, mm-hmm. at 15, um, height from going from high school, going to the NBA, no mm-hmm. college experience. I mean, he's got athleticism, long frame, all those types of things that you want in a, you know, kind of a, a big guy. Mm-hmm. But they're not going to have the tape on him that they yeah. have on somebody else. So... Maybe they take him, mm-hmm. you know, higher than somebody else who they have tape on that you say, okay, maybe you're able to find a couple of holes with this mm-hmm. other person. But then they take, you know, Robinson and just saying maybe then they come to find, oh, we didn't see is we didn't see this, you know, mm-hmm. in the tape when he does something in a in a game or in practice, and you're like, we we didn't we didn't catch that because there wasn't the same amount of film on him that there was on somebody else who who went to college and and, and there was more of a, a limelight on them. I don't know if this is going to be an exact kind of example, but it almost reminds me of a guy that I know you and I talked about when he was coming out, should he go to college in Thon Maker. Oh, yeah. It was, we don't have the most tape on him. Obviously, there were some tape on him, but there wasn't as much tape if he did say, hey, I'm going to go to Kansas for a year and play college basketball. But the last guy I kind of want to look at is, and if you're on YouTube, this is going to be a tease for tomorrow's video because this is kind of going to be a part A, part B conversation. We're going to focus part A here because Colin Sexton, both you and I had him. You have him at seven. I have him at eight. The second part of this will be tomorrow's video. If you're on Blog Talk Radio, it'll go right into it of Trey Young, who is in our top five for both you and I. I want to ask you just straight up, what made you put Colin Sexton, number seven on your big board right behind Michael Porter Jr. Uh, well, I like uh, what, what Sexton's uh, doing and what he's what he's done with Alabama. I, I, I think that Trey Young is ahead of him mm-hmm. because for, for one simple fact, and it's that, Ricky, when we talked before, it, Trey Young has not slowed down. No. He has not slowed 39 down. 39 points against TCU in the last game. He hasn't he hasn't showed actually any signs of slowing down. He continues mm-hmm. on this, you know, toward pace and and I like what he's doing. Uh, and that's why I put Sexton second. Mm-hmm. Um in in terms of uh, you know, guards and 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 what they're what they're able to do and I 
I think that he's still I think he's still quality and I know that some people would say well why isn't you know he right up there in 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 the top 5 and and why isn't he ahead of a a Michael Porter Jr who's you injured. know who's injured and and could possibly come back but you know that's not there's nothing certain about that I I think 7 is a is a good spot right now for Sexton because it still puts him up well inside the top 10 and at a spot that I think is is good for him based mm-hmm. on what he's done and, and the skills that he's able to bring. And, uh, you know, he's a he's a guy who's a really good ball handler. He has a really good, I think, a self-awareness of plays that need to be made uh, on the court and where, where he's at. Um, you know, good good vision on the floor. He's got impressive bursts, and he knows how to draw a foul. That's what this kid has been able to do very, very effectively. He, mm-hmm. he is able to get more points for his team by being aggressive. It's it, Something that it, I've harped on all podcasts tonight. That is one of the biggest things with him, and and a lot of these guys that we've said today, just their aggressiveness, that when they go to the basket, they're looking – they're looking for a lot more than just two points. They're trying. They're trying to get their two points and a foul and one. So I, I think that that's another great thing out of Colin Sexton. That if that translates over to the NBA, as the Sports Illustrated article says, to quote that, the outlook should be sunny. Well, and the thing that I kind of, the thing that I'm looking at right now is when it comes between because this is kind of our pseudo. Trey Young versus Colin Sexton argument. Um, Not argument, but discussion. Because really when you got two guys, it's which side of the table are you on? You can't be on the other side. However, with Colin Sexton, I like that you brought up the foul numbers. Overall, he's getting to the line for about nine attempts per game, and he's shooting at 78%. Would I like that percentage to be up a little bit? You'd like it to be 100. You'd like it to be 100. I... Any 80, 80 and above I can deal with. 90 is like the pie in the sky. 80 and above, especially for a guard, is what I would like. However, the thing that I look at is the thing that is vastly different between Colin Sexton and Trey Young is Trey Young has the, I'm going to say has the three ball and is a consistent three ball guy. Some would even some might consider him a chucker because he's a volume shooter, especially from beyond the arc. However, that's not who Colin Sexton is. The last few games, like six against Texas AM was an anomaly, and he was one for six. Otherwise, it's one for two, oh for one, oh for three. Um Arizona, he had six, but like he's only gone over six four times this season from beyond the arc. And one of those games was when he went four of seven, his best game from three against Minnesota. However, I put a little asterisk next to that game, and it's not because I want to take anything away from him because going five on three and scoring 40 points is amazing. But I also look at five on three, the other two on the court. Obviously, the team's going to go to you for the scoring. That's why... You got the 40. So that's why I put that little asterisk there. The two guys that I'm kind of looking at, and obviously the main comparison that people are going to say is, oh, Colin Sexton, he's the deer and fox of this year. Deer and fox was the same thing. The slasher, I'm going to get into the lane, I'm going to get to the basket, go to the line. Whereas Lonzo Ball, 
I'm going to facilitate. He was more, I'm going to facilitate. I'm going to shoot a three. Kind of what will we see from Trey Young? Yeah, Trey Young can get to the basket, but he shoots the three. He piles on 14 assists in the last game against TCU. And the thing I'm kind of seeing is the, it's kind of like, and I know the height differentials aren't the same. He's taller than the player I'm going to say, but it's kind of like in the last season that Isaiah Thomas played last year in Boston, he averaged 8.5 free throw attempts per game. Got to the line for eight shots per game from the foul line. Do you want to know? And of course, Isaiah Thomas, different six-year pro, his percentage from the foul line last year was 90%. That's what, to me, that's what Colin Sexton could be. Not exactly 90 because obviously the percentage is low, but that's what he could be. A guy that gets to the line eight to nine attempts per game makes at least 80 to 85% of them and gives his team free points by getting to the line after driving in on the basket. Well, I think that's another thing that it shows that he's a leader. He's a leader Mm -hmm. out there on the floor. He's cool under pressure. He's cool with the basketball, Mm -hmm. and he's able to make plays. And that's that's the type of guy that any NBA team wants to have. They They want a playmaker. They want a playmaker who is not afraid to, we've said it now multiple times, to be that slasher, that aggressive guy, in the lane, down around the bigs, which is mm-hmm. where there the critics of Sexton will say that he needs to get better. You know, trying to get around around bigs, but he's seemed to do a fairly good job so far, being able to draw those fouls around them. So that uh, certainly is a is a good thing for him, uh, pointing up in his direction. Here's a question I want to ask you. Last thing about Colin Sexton, and this will bring us into. Obviously, the first one we're going to talk about after we give our top five is Trey Young. But the differences, the main difference I would say between Sexton and Young is Sexton is an aggressive shoot first guard. Trey Young is a guy that I would say would pass first before. Yes, he can take the shot. He can make the shot. He'll be a high scorer for your team. But I feel like Young would be the guy, hey, you got a high percentage shot, I'm going to dish it off to you. Not in the same way that Lonzo Ball is. Lonzo Ball is sometimes too generous with the basketball. But Trey Young more generous than a Colin Sexton. I'll ask you just in that sense, a generous pass-first player, an aggressive shoot-first at the point guard position, which one would you rather have for your team? Generous pass first, aggressive shoot first. I like aggressive shoot first. I, I, honestly, that's 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 what I'm probably gonna go with because I, I like I like the aggressive. I like mm-hmm. the aggressive player. I like the aggressive shoot first um, for 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 me. Um, but uh, I, I I think though that there are situations that call for being able to um, pass the basketball and and really set something up before you do that. But in the NBA, all it is is shoot first because they don't give a damn, you mm-hmm. know, about anything else. So I think that in the NBA, aggressive shoot first is probably going to be the most successful. The only exception I would say to that is the Golden State Warriors, and that's why the, that's why they're champions to me because a guy like Steph Curry, yeah, I can shoot the ball from three and make it, but, oh, wait, I'm it's not a high-percentage shot. Dish it off to Clay Thompson. Dish it off to Kevin Durant. 
and not be afraid to pass. That's why for me, I would go more towards the guy, not over generous like a what Lonzo's doing right now. I want a little aggressiveness out of him, but that guy who it's like, yeah, I can shoot the ball, I can make it, I can be dead eye from three, but I'm gonna pass it too, and I'm gonna be that pass first instead of that aggressive shoot first going down the lane. But that's where we're gonna end this because, like I said, this is a tease into the next one where we're gonna start with Trey Young. Yes, he worries that in our top five, but let us know what you guys think down below about any of the guys we talked about, any guys on our big board from 6 to 15. Also, make sure if you're on YouTube to check out our first segment where we looked at the guys from 16 to 25 on our big board. But, Brandon, let's finish out our big board before we go into semifinal recaps and national championship previews on the college football side of things. I will let you go first, as I always have. You're I'm generous. Great, I'm a gracious host. I'm, I'm a gracious host. But this is where you come in. Give us your top five for our 1.0 NBA big board. So at five, I've got Muhammad Bamba from Texas. At four, Trey Young from Oklahoma. At three, Luka Doncic, uh, international. Um, at two, DeAndre Ayton from Arizona. And at number one, I've got Marvin Bagley the third from El Duque. And then my top five will go right into it like we always have. At number five, I've got that same Michael Bagley the third from Duke the forward center. Then we've got number four, I've also got like you have Trey Young, guard from Oklahoma. Then at three, just like you did, Luka Doncic, guard from the international, his international player. Real Madrid, Real Madrid. Then number two, Michael Porter Jr., forward from Missouri. And then at number one, DeAndre Ayton, center, Arizona. And this is what I want to ask you. The first thing, Trey Young, like you said, hasn't really stopped had about, what, 30-some points and 14 assists against TCU this past Friday. Got 39 points, 14 assists, shot 83 from the line where he had 18 attempts, made 15 of them, went 6 of 14, that's 42, almost 43% from beyond the arc. However, only went 9 of 23 from the field total. What We just talked about Colin Sexton. Give me a little bit about Trey Young now that we can actually talk about him because he's in our top five. We couldn't before. If we did, we would have been fired. Yeah, you would have fired us. I would have fired myself. <laughs> it would have been all Mark here. Mark would have been the only one. Uh, well, with Trey Young, you 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 already said it. He has just he has not stopped. And I think that when you look around, when you look around the NCAA right mm-hmm. now, and you look at all the different teams and all the players that they have on them. If you take a look at Oklahoma and you take Trey Young out of there, mm-hmm. Oklahoma is an extremely different team. They extremely are. different team. Worse off. Mm-hmm. And when you're able to do that, you know you've got a really special player. I think that you can look at a lot of other teams. You can take a lot of other guys guys away. Like you can look look at Duke. You can take a couple of guys away from Duke, and they're still mm-hmm. going to be all right. But I, I, I truly believe that if you take Trey Young away from Oklahoma, Oklahoma is a significantly worse team, and they would perform as such. But with Trey Young, what he's able to do is he's a wonderful perimeter shooter. He is a, a great scorer. He's a very good passer, as mm-hmm. you had mentioned before. But he's great with the basketball. He's crafty. 
I mean, he is really, really good being able to drive in the lane and being able to put up a shot there. He is an all-around, what I've seen so far, just great player. Mm-hmm. And I I know that there are, we, when we talked about it before with, with Trey Young, when we just kind of focused on, on Trey Young, you know, there were definitely things that you could say that he could improve on. You know, I, you, the, these aren't necessarily things I'm saying that he can improve on, but he isn't extremely quick, um, but he does handle he does handle the ball well. Um, his his shot kind of the angle where he's he's shooting, um, you know, it's it's uh, it's a little it's a little different uh, mm-hmm. than what we would see out of uh, you know some other other shooters. That's one of the things that we said when comparing him to uh, uh, Steph Curry. But right now, I, I, I there's nothing that I see that I look at uh, Trey Young and I go, wow, there's this glaring you know uh, hole in his game. I, I'm not I'm not seeing that, which is why I have him at number four. Here's the thing, and I want to bridge this into a greater discussion that I wanted to have with this top five. There is there's a debate that I'm having in my head because and everyone gave us crap for it, Brandon, when before the um, Wichita State game. You have a lot of debates in which, your head, don't you? Yes, I do. <laughs> which uh, a great game that we saw for especially Oklahoma against Wichita State when they took down at the time number three, the Shockers from Wichita State. I remember watching that game going, wow, I can't believe this. Like, I, I can't believe he did it. I thought that was the game that he would have a little bit of a slow up, but The thing I want to ask, and I know people are going to get mad when I say this, is I look at Trey Young and I look at Luka Doncic. And the thing that I wonder is the biggest negative that I see about Luka is that, and people said it the first time we brought him up on the fast break, was that, oh, he's not used to the size of the NBA and an NBA defender and it's going to throw him through loops. And he's only an 18-year-old kid. He's going to be coming over playing against men. And I know he's playing against men in the EuroLeague right now. However, EuroLeague and NBA are completely different games. And my thought is there's a reason why EuroLeague players, especially the top ones, there's a reason why they don't stay in the EuroLeague and they eventually come over to the NBA because the game's more elevated and the goal is to play in the NBA, NBA being a global game at this point. And this is going to be controversial because there are people that rightfully so believe that Luka Doncic could be the number one pick in the NBA draft. But my debate that I'm having in my head, you can throw Michael Porter Jr. into this as well because although he's not a guard, he's the same I would say he's the same kind of player going to bring that scoring to a team. Is it right for maybe some people, let's say you had the choice between Trey Young and Luka Doncic. What would you say to the person? And I know Luka Doncic, bigger size, taller, he's 6'8 compared to 6'2 for Trey Young. If the person were to say, you know what, I'm going to go with the kid in Trey Young, who's already here, compared to so-and-so, in this case, Luka Doncic, playing overseas at Real Madrid. 
I I think you're I think you're right in terms of it's it's a little different when you're you know you're you're over there um in international and then you come over here and you you know go to the to the N- NBA I, but I I think that I think that that it would be a, a slight to Doncic to say that oh just because you're over there you yeah. know means we're gonna you know drop you a little bit because you're not over here in our mm-hmm. in the system that we usually go you go to college here you know in, in the United States and boom you go to the NBA mm-hmm. I think that that would be a slight to him but I do think that it it, it when you have I mean, how many times have we talked about this, whether it's with college football or college basketball, and you're able to be on, you know, the national stage playing here in front of fans, getting that popularity, getting the popularity of of uh, of scouts mm-hmm. and drawing their attention uh, of scouts, of general managers, of owners, and you're right here, and it's so much easier, and you're you're getting that kind of big name presence as a lot of these guys are the Marvin Bagleys, the Trey Youngs, the all these types of guys. It's easier mm-hmm. over here, so it's it's more convenient. I I'll be honest with you, I don't know what Luka Doncic is doing. Mm-hmm. I don't take multiple trips. You know, internationally throughout going, the going year. Going over to Spain, man, that's, that's a, it's going to be a hefty thing for your passport and your uh, airplane to keep going from Spain and back to do podcasts. Yeah, <laughs> it, yeah, it would be. It would be, which is why I'm not doing it. Yeah. But do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Is that you, you get the popularity over here, mm-hmm. and there is there are more eyes on you over here, mm-hmm. overall. Because the league, where the league you're going to, it's based here. Exactly. And I know that the fans are not the ones that are drafting you, mm-hmm. but the fans are some of the ones that I think are helping your popularity. You know, they're they're helping to fuel you. You're they're you're help they're helping uh your your the ratings of those games be better. They're mm-hmm. you know, giving a reason to watch those games because that's what they're talking about. The pundits here on all the different networks are talking about those guys and and everything like that. The the international players, they're they're kind of I think put to the back burner a lot of the times because they're not here, they're not here, they're not being talked about, they're not in the limelight and in, in on the center stage. Well, and the thing that I'm kind of thinking about right now is, first off, I do have the stats for Luka Doncic up right now, and I just want to right now, and I know people are going to get mad that I'm doing this, but I'm going to do it anyways because it's my podcast, but. Trey Young stats, Luka Doncic stats. And I know that it's not all about stats, but people like stats. And that's why I'm going to bring this up. Doncic right now, 16.6 points per game over in EuroLeague. Trey Young, 29 points per game. Looking at the assists, that's one of the things facilitators for both these guys. You've got 4.7 assists per game for Doncic. You've got 10.7. For Trey Young. Then just looking at the percentages. Both of them similar from the foul line. 84.8 for Doncic. 85.6. Woohoo. 1%. I'll call him even. It's a push right there with the numbers. However, Doncic is averaging 5 attempts. Whereas Trey Young's averaging 9 attempts from the line. So he's going and getting 4 more than Doncic. Then you have the two-point percentage, 61% compared to 47, Doncic being the 61, and 3.33% for Doncic, 41% right now for Trey Young. 
and the thing I want to throw out there, because someone's already said it in the comment section, I get that the college game is different than the Euro League. I get that also one is taller than the other. Size is going to matter here, 6'8", compared to 6'2". I am just wondering in my head, maybe this is the same topic we got burned for before, and I'm not going to ask you this now. I'm just saying the thought came to my head of will there be a day on our big board that if Trey Young continues to keep this up, keep this up, keep this up, that he's not four on our big board, that he's not two on our big board, that he's number one on our big board because he keeps putting up stats and just going, going, going over and over and over and over. Like I said, not going to ask you that question. I wasn't going to answer. But it did pop into my head. Guy I want to move on to is the one that I really wanted to have the international to college talk with, but it kind of just formed with Trey Young, Michael Porter Jr. Because the thing for me is that if Michael Porter Jr. right now is injured, and I'm looking at an article right now from the SB Nation where apparently there was a tweet that uh, Dr. Rick Lemon, I think I said that name right, (laughs) talking Michael Porter Jr. on Frank uh, Casumano, again, hope I said that name right, (laughs) radio show this morning. This was back from early December. I think he'll be back in the next four weeks, so in the next month. That was December 12th. So in the next four weeks, that's about in a week or two from where we are right now. And that's more than just a guess. What if Michael Porter Jr. comes back this year? I know I had him at two. You had him outside the top five. Do you think that is also helping Donichich's case is that we don't have a guy like Michael Porter Jr. to compare him to because... Porter Jr. has been injured this year? Uh, you know, it, it 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 definitely could be. I think that's working I think that's working in his favor. I, I think if um at the same time though, it's gonna be interesting when when and if Michael Porter Jr. comes back, what level is he at? Mm-hmm. You know, because you said there that the hope that he would be back four weeks from December twelfth. A hundred percent, ninety percent. You know, where's he at? Is he back and he's he can play, but he's, you know, you would hope that he's at 100% then, but, you know, what what's he what's he going to be able to contribute right away? Is it is it going to take him mm-hmm. a little bit to get going? You know, again, he has not played, you know, at all this season, and he's a freshman. So um, I, I think that it's going to be really interesting to see what he's able to do if he's able to come on to the basketball court this year. But that's not necessarily the question you asked me. It's, well, it, but I, we'll I, get to that. I, I think that I think that what with him being out, it's opened the door mm-hmm. for Luca for sure. I, I think that's definitely something that has to work in his favor. By how much? I, I don't know if it's a significant amount, but I think that it's it's definitely opened the door a little bit for him to mm-hmm. get a little bit more recognition because, you know, as much as when we talked before saying, is it easier for someone who's here? No one wants to watch Michael Porter Jr. on the bench. Mm-hmm. So they're going to look elsewhere. The thing that worries me about Luca, and I'm throwing out there again, we've said this throughout the podcast, that you can't compare like players to other players as carbon copies. 
But the thing that, and this is a back of the mind thing. I remember you and I talking about this was be this was way back in the archives. This was before the fast break was even a thing here because Dave and I started it, did it for a couple of weeks, then we stopped doing it. Then it didn't really pick up again until Sean came on and joined the team. But I remember us talking, what was this, 2015 NBA draft when we used to do the mock drafts because the fast break wasn't here. Oh, that was a good time. And we used to talk about, do you remember a guy, Mario Hazonia? Remember that name? Hazonia. Overseas guy from Croatia. Another guy, top five guy, top six guy that we were like, oh, coming overseas could be great. Hasn't been what we expected for the Orlando Magic. Now, I'm not saying... I wouldn't know you had to watch the games. I'm not saying that, hey, you know what? Luka's coming over from Euroleague, coming over from International. It's going to be the same thing. However, that's just one thing in my head that's just like a back-of-the-head worry because of the coming over. He could come over and be great. He could do that. But with Michael Porter Jr., I think it has helped him dramatically because I think if Michael Porter Jr. is playing, of course it depends on how he's playing, but how I expect him to be and what teams say, if he was playing these games, there's a chance he could be number one on my big board because I had him at two, could be number one on mine and in the top five in yours. That's if he was playing. Now, the thing that's going to be interesting next week, the ninth, So when we're recording the next podcast will be that four weeks from that comment about him coming back in the next four weeks. The interesting thing and the interesting debate will be, should he come back? Because I could see a double-sided coin. I could see the coin of sit out, don't play, worry about you. You're going to be drafted in the top five, top three anyways. Just don't even play. However... Like a guy we talked about earlier, Miles Bridges being a competitor, Miles Bridges being a competitor, being a guy that wants to be out there for his team. I could see that on the other side of, yeah, you know what? Get out there. You're a good player. Go win some games for your team. Help your team win because the ultimate goal is to go out there and win a championship. Go out there and help the team get to March Madness and go through it. It just depends on which side are you on it for yourself, draft stock, or for the team and helping them do great things and having a good season this year. Yeah, I, I think that for Michael Porter Jr., you you want to come back, you want to play because you don't want to be that guy that was out the entire season mm-hmm. and is having people guess that he's going to be good. Yeah, or having people guess that say and say, you know what, we didn't get to see anything out of him. We're going to drop him, mm-hmm. you know, a little bit. I, I think he wants to be a guy who, if he can come out there and play, he's going to come out there and play and show what he has, mm-hmm. what he has to offer outside of what everyone has already seen yeah. from him. So I, I think that if he's able to get out there on the floor and play, that's exactly what he's going to do. Well, and also the thing that I was thinking about is don't pull a Josh Rosen. I don't pull the well. I wanted to play, but the injury cut me out. Kind of a thing that Josh Rosen tried to do with his bowl game. Completely different situations. But that's what I just don't do that. If you're going to stay out with the injury, stay out if you want to play. Go ahead and play. Last thing I will ask you, and this is up to you. We are probably going to have a topic about this in greater detail, but this is the last thing I'll end it with. I had Marvin Bagley at five. I had DeAndre Ayton at one. 
you had Bagley at one, Aiton at two. Since both you and I had different number ones, last thing we'll do, what made you put Marvin Bagley number one atop your big board? I think right now Marvin Bagley, when you look at uh, guys at, at, at his position, he is, I mean, he's solid. You know, six eleven. He's he's got the size. He's got the frame. Unless he's you got, poke poke him in the eye. Well, you know that happens for a lot of people. They just go down. You poke I, him in the eye, and boom. I'm still upset down. we didn't get to see him that game because he got poked in the eye. <laughs> he he's an aggressive rebounder. He can be a scorer. Um, he is he's everything that I think that you'd be looking for in a big guy. Mm-hmm. Again, his size, and he's he's done well. He's such a playmaker for Duke. It's Again, one of those one of those types of things. When I said about Trey Young, you take him out of a game, you take Trey Young out of a game, and in Oklahoma is is uh, you know worse for wear. Then I, I think that uh, you do the same thing with Bagley and and Duke of all players that you could take. He's the one you don't want to take away from that team right mm-hmm. now because you. I think you'd find a a pretty good hole um, right there in the in the Duke starting lineup. I'll be completely honest. My why I put Aiton number one over Bagley right now. First off, why I put Bagley at five is just because right now I'm kind of low on Bagley, um, and I look at guys like the guards, Trey Young, Doncic, even the injured Michael Porter, and it basically comes down to a question: If I'm drafting at two, would I take him? No, I'll take Porter. If I'm at three, would I take him? No, I'll take Doncic. If I'm at four, would I take him? No, I'll take Trey Young, and. The only reason why I have Aiton number one right now is just off of offense alone. Like, offensively, DeAndre Aiton is a monster and checks every single box that you want from an offensive center. The only thing I want to see, and this is how you keep that number one status, because like you said, this is number one. Just because you have Bagley number one, I have Aiton number one, doesn't mean they're going to stay like that the whole way through. How do you... Keep that number one. What do I want to see from DeAndre Ayton? Develop some more defensive skills. Become a shot blocker a little bit. Shot blocking is really the big one, but don't be a pushover down below. And I'm not saying he is, but don't be. It's like, man, he's great offensively, but he's a liability defensively. I don't want to see that. And to me, the big stat is shot blocking because when we look at the NBA and we look at centers— What's the big stat we look at is not just how many points you put in when you get the opportunities, but like Anthony Davis, like he had four blocks in a game and people are going nuts. Anthony Davis was a guy that didn't have to score in a second half of a national championship game and his team still won. Now, I'm not saying I want Aiton to just quit scoring the ball and focus on defense, but just develop those defensive skills a little bit overall and that's how i think he'll stay there at number one and i I think for i think for bagley Mm -hmm. for him to be able to stay at number one for me he needs to develop a little bit more as an interior defender he already does a pretty good job um you know defending on on the exterior on the perimeter Mm -hmm. 
he needs to be able to do that. And then he also be, needs to be able to become a better scorer from j- outside of just, um, I think, right by the right by the rim. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he, he he's able to to get, get a, a lot of those of easy shot. B- buckets, but just to kind of uh, work on that a little bit more so mm-hmm. you can become a, a more polished, I think, scorer is what I'd want to see from Bagley. Well, this is where you guys come in. This finishes our big board. For the week, let us know what you guys think down below in the comment section. Also, whether you're on YouTube, whether you're on Blog Talk Radio, stay tuned this week. Actually, by the time this is on YouTube, let's see, Wednesday, Thursday. Yeah, by the time this is up, the first video of the mock draft, it should be the mock draft today or tomorrow, one of the two days, should be the first mock draft. So you get double dip NBA draft here on the podcast. Let us know what you guys think, though down below in the comment section. But Brandon, let's move on into our final topic. You thought the big board was it. That's not it. We got one more topic here on the Primetime Podcast, and what we got to do is we've got to put a nice shiny bow on our football season. (laughs) We had our semifinal games last night. uh, Well, half amazing semifinal games last night. One was expected. The other was an amazing game. Georgia-Oklahoma... Alabama Clemson. Alabama will be playing Georgia basically in a home game for the Bulldogs in Atlanta, Georgia. Here's how we're going to do this segment for you guys is we're going to look at first Georgia, Oklahoma. Then we're going to look at Alabama Clemson, kind of give our thoughts on each game. Then we will preview Alabama, Georgia, ending it all with yours and mine. Final pick of the season, our final pick for the college football season. And let's start with the 2-3 matchup. Let's start with Oklahoma-Georgia. And this is one where I'm kind of on the fence about because there's about 90% of me that is like still feeling what I felt last night. An amazing game coming down to the wire, double overtime, But then there's 10% of me that listens to sports talk today and listens to all these um, different analysis and, like, people talking about uh, Oklahoma and how the play calling might have messed them up in the second half towards overtime, how they didn't put the ball in Baker Mayfield's hands. And there's about 10% of me that's like, did Georgia win the game or did Oklahoma lose the game? And I hate that there's a 10% part of me that thinks that. Because I should just sit back and go, that was an amazing game, and that should be it. It was an amazing game. We were treated to an absolutely outstanding game. And, you know, how lucky are we? Because how many times have we seen uh, in this playoff format the last couple of years uh, some duds of games? And and then we are looking to our neighbors saying, well, you Mm -hmm. know, so-and-so should have been in. It would have been a better game. I, I don't think that we were doing that with this game. I think everyone was very pleased, whether you're a fan of Georgia, whether you're a fan of Oklahoma, whether you're just a, a college football fan, or whether you're not a, a really a, a fan at all, mm-hmm. but you were just tuning in for a, a good a good game that you could watch that was sports-related, you were treated to an absolutely great game. Well, it's like Mark Weber. He was tweeting and texting us during it. He basically got the best college football season ever in his mind. Rose Bowl was the only game he watched. The only game all college football season that he watched. It was the first one he tuned in for, and what a game to tune in for. However, here's one thing I'm thinking about, thinking back on this game. 
You remember when we previewed the game and I was like, it's going to come down to Georgia's defense against Oklahoma's offense. You know what this game really came down to? Kirby Smart versus Lincoln Riley. That's what it came down to. The coaches and the decisions that they made. Because on one side, you had Kirby Smart, Georgia head coach, making adjustments at halftime. That's the one thing they mentioned um, Cam Fowler and Kurt, uh, Kurt Street mentioned was Nick Saban pro- protégés and Nick Saban himself masters at making secondhand adjustments. Kirby Smart and his team did that. On the flip side, Lincoln Riley, there was some questionable calls people had about the, like, you had um, Joel Klatt on Fox bring up the jet sweep at the end of regulation. You have people questioning, well, you have the Heisman quarterback, the Heisman, in your backfield, and you run the ball two or three times in overtime to set up a field goal that eventually got blocked, virtually not putting the ball in your Heisman quarterback hands to win the game. And instead of sitting here and saying, like, oh, what did this team do that they should have done? What did this one? Basically, it came down to coaching. And in my mind, even coming into the game, if you were to say offense, defense, special teams, coaching, and say, like, who gets the advantage in each, I would have gave the Bulldogs the advantage in coaching because – Nothing against Lincoln Riley, but I think Kirby Smart is a better head coach than Lincoln Riley. That's truly, it came down to that and a special teams play is what won Georgia the game. Yeah, Sonny Michelle had to, or Sonny Michelle had to run it into the end zone, but it came down to a blocked field goal and coaching on the side of Kirby Smart that won the Bulldogs this game yesterday at the Rose Bowl. Well, Kirby Smart was very honest um, with that little little blurb interview that mm-hmm. you get right at halftime. He said, we were not prepared for this. He said, we were not prepared. Um, he said, uh, we need to do a better job uh, coming out in the second half. He said, we need to stop playing scared, and we need to get things going. And that's exactly what he did. And I, I think that the, the term, you know, the, the coach who's able to um, win the game of adjustments, mm-hmm. that's that's going to be the team that ends up winning. And... Lincoln Riley was just unable to adjust to the adjustments made by Kirby Smart's defense. And Kirby Smart is a defensive minded guy. You remember he was the defensive coordinator for the Alabama Crimson Tide for, uh, you know, quite some time. And and he had built one of the best defenses over there at Alabama. He's done the same thing over there at Georgia. And Mm -hmm. it was it was almost stunning that Oklahoma was able to do what they did in the first half. I, I think that uh, Georgia, they were they were caught flat-footed a whole lot. Uh, one of the things that I thought was very impressive by Oklahoma was their running game. They mm-hmm. ran all over Georgia. Well, Anderson in, in, had in a the, huge in, game. In the game, mm-hmm. but certainly in the first half. He had two touchdowns in that first half. But one thing that you did not mention... Mm-hmm. Is it's a different game if they don't if Oklahoma doesn't do that squib stupid kick. squib kick. That's another thing right before the half up. ends, and that was that was a very that was very poor coaching mm-hmm. on the side of of Lincoln Riley because at the end of the day you have six seconds left. Mm-hmm. What are the or I, I can't remember if they have six seconds or or, or yeah. how much time they have left on the clock. Under but, thirty seconds. But you have literally no no time to really do much. You kick that ball mm-hmm. deep. And you're forcing them 
if, to, well, if they're to if they're even able to get into Hail Mary territory mm-hmm. to just chuck one up there and hope that maybe you have something. Instead, you are able to put them in field position. One great to catch kick, to kick a 55-yard mm-hmm. field goal, and Blankenship did just that. So, you know, you you look at that, and that is three points mm-hmm. that you could have been up at the end of the game. You're tied at the end of regulation. You're not if that happens. You can't look to just yeah. one play and say, well, that's what did it. Well, it was but, a lot of I different mean, that's, plays. That's, but that was a huge thing. That was a lot of, of mm-hmm. truly a lot of momentum going for Georgia heading to the half, and, not for Oklahoma. And the stat about that I heard today was Oklahoma – had never allowed a kickoff return for a touchdown. And they decided to do that squib kick. And the last thing before we go into Alabama-Clemson that I just wanted to— this is an experiment that I'm taking this straight from Joe Klatt that he did, but this is something to where it really hit home to me. Because everyone after the game was, oh, is this the greatest— not just college football playoff game, it is. But is this the greatest Rose Bowl game? And I'm going to say no. So this is, Brandon, I'm going to have you do it, and I want you guys to do it at home unless you're listening to us in your car. If you're driving right now, don't do it. But if you're sitting at home, you're not driving, go ahead and do this. Close your eyes really quick. Close your eyes. Think back to the 2025 season. So it would have been 2005 season, but it's January 2006. Vince Young and the Texas Longhorns against the USC Trojans. Now imagine that final play. Vince Young, everyone's like, the ball's going to be in his hands, and he runs into the end zone. Now imagine if Texas handed the ball off to Michael Houston. That is basically, and you guys can open your eyes now, that is basically what Oklahoma did late in the game. Michael Houston, if you don't know who he is, because I didn't until Joe Klatt told me, he had about three carries on the year that year. For Texas. Everyone knew the ball was going to Vince Young. V VY is getting the ball and they're gonna put it on him. However, different thing in games, you had Mac Brown versus Nick Saban in that or not Nick Saban, Pete Carroll in that game. I'm thinking the Colt McCoy one, that's why I said Nick Saban. You have Mac Brown versus Pete Carroll, two great coaches. No one was gonna question either of them. Lincoln Riley, first head coach, and he had only been on the job eight months. So you gotta take that into consideration. That's one thing I just, I like to where it's like, maybe it's not the greatest Rose Bowl, but it was a great game that we were treated to. I, I still, I still, um, I, I agree. I agree mm-hmm. with that. I, I don't think that there's going to be anybody, even even fans of those respective teams, Georgia Oklahoma and Oklahoma, Georgia. you can't say that it was a bad game. No. You, you, you cannot say that. that. That would be a complete lie. But Best thing? I, no flags either. The ref said, we're going to let you guys play. That, that was good. It also made the game continue to go by mm-hmm. you know, quickly, even though it still lasted longer because it went into yeah. double overtime. But you take a look at it, and, and it is surprising, just knowing the relationship that Lincoln Riley and Baker Mayfield have, that Lincoln Riley did not rely on Baker Mayfield in overtime. It, mm-hmm. it didn't make sense. It seemed like they wanted to play a conservative from a team that's not conservative at all. Mm-hmm. And I was I was really surprised by that. Uh, Mayfield, he seemed content to be able to just hand it off, hand it off, hand it off. And, it, you know, that wasn't – that really wasn't the time to be doing that, I don't think. And you also – Look at what you know Baker had done throughout the game. He had been pretty good. He had that mm-hmm. he had that one interception, but you know that that was an overthrow of Andrews, yeah. and you know that that was one turnover. But 
you know, the rest of the rest of the way, he was pretty darn good. And I just I'm really surprised again, like you said earlier, you, you know, you've got your Heisman Trophy winner. You want to put it in his hands. He is supposed to be able to take over that game and be able to bring you the win. And they just did not do it, even in overtime number two, when Mayfield was, you know, had had the ball first, and and they're saying on the broadcast, okay, you know, let's see how how aggressive they are this mm-hmm. time, having the ball first, knowing that they'll have to defend against Georgia, and then they weren't, and they weren't, they just they were not, and and then the they. The, the the broadcast again was saying how Georgia they've blocked a couple of kicks on mm-hmm. the season and what do they do they do just that so Oklahoma had all the opportunities to be able to win uh, it you know Georgia gave up a whole lot of points whole heck of a lot of points something that they are not used to doing Oklahoma and no one's probably too surprised that they gave mm-hmm. up that many points because they're used to be able being able to give up those points but still come out on the winning side I mean, look at the they were, Oklahoma State game they, exactly they were not able to do that but it's it was still it was still a great game I felt you know you always I you don't always feel bad for their team a lot of times other people mm-hmm. don't give a darn about the other team but I felt bad. I, I I do like Baker Mayfield. You know, I wanted to see him do well, but I was very happy for Georgia, for Jake Fromm, for a freshman who comes in and he doesn't start at the beginning of the season. Mm-hmm. He's not their starter. Eason is. We were talking and, Eason and, all offseason. And Fromm steps in, and you couldn't tell if it was Fromm or Eason, and, mm-hmm. and Fromm really made a name for himself. And Ricky... You you should say you should say what you said to me last night that we're going to be well, sitting here in a couple of years saying I tweet, what I tweeted it too and I said come the twenty twenty or twenty twenty one draft depending on when he comes out we're going to be talking about Jake Fromm number one pick I can just feel it I can see what the kids got on the field and unless he has like a freak injury or a, reg- a super bad regression next year which I don't see happening. We're going to be talking about him being a number one pick overall, and we're going to be bringing up the Matthew Stafford draft because he was the last Bulldog to go number one overall for the quarterback. But let's move on to the other game. And I know people are probably thinking, guys, you're spending too much time on one game. we got to get to the national championship. That was the game that had a lot to be said. This next one, I feel like, has was was I Was I I right? You were right. Was I right? But here— Here's the thing I feel about this game, and it's exactly, I know what people are going to say. They're going to say, Ricky, you're just repeating what other people are saying, but it's true. This was an Alabama football game. We're going to be boring on offense. We're going to run the ball. Jalen Hurts is going to be good enough to help us win the game, but you might not think he's the Deshaun Watson, the Baker Mayfield, but we don't need him to be. He was We don't need him to be. Just do enough. The run game just does enough, and we win with our defense. And the thing that I heard today from Colin Cowherd was the fact that, or it wasn't, it was Dan Patrick today, um, was the thing that was most mind-bottling about this is Clemson got screwed. You want to know how they got screwed? They're the number one team, which means you should go into the playoffs and have an advantage because you're the number one team. However, they went into a game against a number four where the number four was the favorite. Alabama was the favorite in this game, and they're the fourth seed. Clemson got, just to say it right, they got done dirty, Brandon, by the committee. The committee completely did them no favors. Now, you and I called it. Was Kelly Bryant going to be enough to upend this defense? No. 
when you get a Nick Saban defense that is playing with a chip on their shoulder, no. They're not going to be able to overcome it, and that's what this game was. Defensive plays, there was a big, I'm looking at one play in particular, and I know, like you said, he can't look at one, but I am. Kane had a pass where he catches it. That changes that changes the game. Could put him up by four points because they were only, or by three points, it would have been a 13 to 13 or 14 to 10 game if they score on that drive. He drops it. They don't get the first. They don't get to continue that drive. It just seems like Alabama's defense really stepped up and was like, you know what? You don't think we're good enough? You think we took a step back? All right, we're going to show you. We're going to show you right here. And then they shut the door. Clemson, six points, usually scoring like 30-31 per game this season. Well, I think that you saw a very healthy Alabama defense. Which got some, banged up, too. Something that we uh, had not seen in, in a while, mm-hmm. which was which was nice. We did not see a healthy defense against Auburn. Uh, we also didn't see a very good game played by Alabama against Auburn, and that was the last taste in the mouth of the Alabama Crimson Tide, and what they were able to do last night was get rid of that mm-hmm. <laughs> big time. Uh, but you're, you're right, Um Jalen Hurts was at best a a, a uh, game. Uh, uh, what's it? What's the what's the term? Manager. He was a, yeah. Thank you. I was want to say a game controller, but that's what I play my PS4 with. But um, a game 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 manager. That's a, at best. That's mm-hmm. what he was. Yeah, he threw for a couple of touchdowns, but he was bland. I mean, he was very bland last night. He's going to have to be better than that too. Um, beat a, a Georgia Bulldog team that is where it's going to be so interesting and I know I'm alluding to it but you're going to see two outstanding defenses so who's got the better offense you know well, who's going to have the better offensive mind coaching wise too but keeping with this game mm-hmm. is is that I, I I think that we we saw what I I didn't necessarily expect i wanted i wanted to see it but i didn't expect kelly bryant to be so bad uh because uh when i you know listen to clemson fans he's god almighty as their whole team is you know was brought down from heaven mm-hmm. above um this season and they sucked um they were terrible um alabama was just too much for them and that's 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 what a good that's what a good smash mouth healthy Alabama defense does. It puts you in situations that you don't want to be in. They they get to you. They'll bring pressure from every mm-hmm. angle that is possible. Kelly Bryant he was he was forced to do things that he did not want to do. Make throws he didn't want to make. Hold onto the ball longer than he wanted to. That led to multiple multiple sacks. Well, and then the defense could have had five. Possibly six interceptions. On the side of Clemson, and Clemson fans, tell me what you think about this. Yesterday's game showed how special Deshaun Watson was for Clemson. Because to me, main yeah, you don't have Wayne Gallman. He's in the NFL. Yeah, you don't have Mike Williams. But really the big piece you were missing last night. He was at the game. He was just on the sidelines, couldn't play. But... It just shows how special Deshaun Watson was. And last year, I'll be completely honest, I did what every NFL draft scout did. Ryan Pace. Now we're going to pass on him. We're going to take Mitch Trubisky. We love titties just as much as Mitch. We're going to take Mitch Trubisky. The Trubisket, as I like to call him. Then you got the Chiefs. Now we don't need him. 
We're going with my guy, Patrick Mahomes. The Browns. Nope, we don't need him. Houston, you want him? Here you go. Give us a pick. We'll give you Deshaun Watson. I was in that boat, too. I was, when we were talking Trubisky or Watson, I was like, you know what? I'd lean towards Mitch Trubisky, but Watson's pretty good. Last night showed how good Deshaun Watson truly was. That he was the only guy to, Kelly Bryant, people tell me, like, the Clemson fans, he's got similar tools to Deshaun Watson. But you want to know who he's not? Deshaun Watson. If Deshaun Watson was your quarterback in this game, you don't score just six points. You probably win that game. I would say maybe not win it outright, but it would have been more of a game, maybe a 24-21, a 27-24 game, depending on if you're winning or losing. That's basically the two difference in scores. But Alabama's defense stepped up. They stepped up. You had a great Alabama defense, and you didn't have any answer for that defense on the side of Clemson. And it brings me into the ultimate question moving into now Alabama and Georgia. What's your key to the game? What's your thing that you're thinking of is not necessarily Alabama, not necessarily Georgia, just your one aspect that, you know, this is going to be the most important part of this national championship game come January 8th. No turnovers. The team that turns the football over is going to be the team that loses Mm -hmm. Uh, because these two teams, what they're able to do is they're able to cause a lot of turnovers and force a lot of turnovers. And when they do that, they score points because of it, whether it's taking that turnover to the house for six Mm -hmm. or being able to take it and on the offensive side, be able to turn it in to six points. I think that that's going to be one of the biggest things because we saw what Alabama did last night defensively, and we saw what Georgia was able to do defensively, you know, as well. So, and what these teams—not even just looking at last night's games, but looking at the season as a whole—these are two defenses that are so strong, mm-hmm. and they pride themselves on being able to get to the quarterback, sack them, put pressure on quarterbacks, make it difficult for them, and then get turnovers. So, I think if you wanted to look at an overall. Uh, key, I think that's going to be number one, is it, hold on to the football and don't turn it over. But for the defense, try and cause turnovers. I think that's going to be a big key for them. There's one player in my mind that this game is going to come, not come down to like win-lose final play, but the one player that I am looking at that is going to be, whether he has a good game or a bad game, will determine the outcome of this game. That's Jake from State From. That is who this game is coming down to because the question for me is I know what Alabama's going to do. They're going to play Alabama football. We're going to let our defense do the talking because Nick Saban's chirping in in their minds, no one respects you, no one cares about you. You're number four. You're not number one. This national media, yeah, you're the favorite by four. Forget that. You're not the favorite. They hate you. They think you're not good enough. You're not as good as you were last year. He's just chirping. He's chirping. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of watching Winning Time, the 30 for 30 with Reggie J- uh, Reggie uh, Miller. And Reggie said that in that those Knicks series in the 90s where Mark Jackson would just sit there and go, Oh, Reg, you see what they say about you? You see what they're saying about you? Now, I wouldn't let them talk. Like, if I were you, I wouldn't let them talk about me that way. That's basically what Nick Saban's doing with his defense. He's the hype man. 
which every coach should be, but he's trying to hype up his guys, he's trying to get them something to play for. Alabama's the number four team, and they're a four. They were yet last night on SVP four point favorite. Vegas odds four point favorite to win the national championship. And they're the number four team in the nation. I get that Georgia's only number three. It's not as big as a jump from one, like four v one, but you're the last team in and you're the favorite in both of your games. I get they're a good team. I think I think this year though it's I think this year it's different. Yeah, no. I, I think this year it's different. What, so you're what I mean, I'm you're, saying I, I know what you're saying is but that you're, Nick you're Saban, touting, you can't play the under you can't play the underdog card when you're not the underdog. But but you're but you're touting a number 4 team in the mm-hmm. playoffs as though they're as though 1 2 and 3 are leaps and bounds away from what the number four team is that because that's that's not how mm-hmm. it is whether whether Alabama got in or whether Ohio State got in that's that's not exactly what it what it what, was it's the not, point I'm trying to make is the fact that I kind of find it hard to buy in on playing the like oh you're the underdog play with a chip on your shoulder when you're picked to win like you're the favorite that's what I'm saying I'm not saying that Alabama's not good I'm not saying they don't deserve to be there I'm not saying that Clemson at number one was so much leaps of bounds better. I'm saying that you're picked to win the game, but you're going to play the underdog card. That's kind of what I'm hoping. No, I, I, but I, I think that they, I think that they still, I think they can play it because I think that there are so many people out there who don't think that who they, doubt that. who don't think that they should be there and and believe that oh Alabama they have this you know this measly mm-hmm. schedule which you know I, I think that if you if you do take a look at it and you're honest with yourself yeah they kind of did um, I, I think that you know there's there's also the you know the fact that. There's all these other teams that that did all this other stuff, and, mm-hmm. and you want to say that Ohio State they won their conference, they they they, they won their conference championship uh, game, and, and and all these other factors that there's other reasons why all these other teams could be there that you don't deserve it, and that's I think how you can play it, mm-hmm. and and that's how you can do it. Uh, you're right with saying that. I I just I think Alabama knows that they've got a real real good and uh what will be a fun game but what's going to be a hell of a hard game in in front of them now uh, you know th- this isn't <laughs> this isn't just Alabama goes out to play Florida and they roll them no this no, is Alabama not. goes out to play Georgia and and this is a different Georgia team and and I really hope we see a good game I hope it's not a 31 7 blowout I mm-hmm. I really I hope this is a good Really, really competitive game. I don't see any reason why it wouldn't be. Ricky, you said that the person that you're looking for is Jake from the two guys I'm looking for in this one that I think could be huge factors, depending on how they do, is going to be the key it is Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle. If they're able to run and they're effective, we saw how good they are when they are running effectively. We mm-hmm. saw that last night. If they are unable to do that, if Alabama's defense is able to limit them in any way, that speaks volumes again for the Alabama mm-hmm. defense. And it definitely turns positive things. Uh, it'll, it would be positive for for uh, Alabama and the Crimson Tide. And that's the reason why I say Jake Fromm is a: if Alabama is able to limit that run game, can you make big plays through the pass game? But also, two: can you do enough in the pass game? Not saying you can't, but can you do enough in the pass game to make sure that Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle have the games? that we're used to seeing them have. But before we wrap up everything, give me your pick. 
Who you got? Alabama, Georgia. Well, uh, like I said, I think this is going to be a really, really good game. Um, but after after looking at both of these teams and after seeing what what I saw last night, I, unsurprising, I'm going with Alabama. I'm picking them because if they're able to play defense like they did against Clemson on uh, Monday, I. I don't see how they are able to lose that game. If they're able to get that much pressure mm-hmm. on Jake Fromm, who's on a huge stage, who is you know hoping to be able to do some good things for himself, and as someone said on a broadcast last night, they wouldn't consider him a freshman anymore, and neither would I, but it is his first time being there. It's not Alabama's, and I think that they have that edge a little bit. I think that if Jalen Hurts is able to do some things, make some plays, and he he wasn't able to make a whole lot of them against Clemson. Alabama wins that game. I'm going to say it's going to be the Crimson Tide. They they win this one. Uh, I'm going to say 31-24 over over uh, Georgia. I'm going to say a different side. I'm saying Georgia by three. I think it's going to be 27-24. Is the game we're looking at could come down to a last second field goal. Could come down to a defensive stop. I see this game being. A very there's going to be lead changes, not as many as we saw Oklahoma, Georgia, but there will be lead changes. And I think that this is the time where an assistant finally upends Nick Saban. And I think we're going to be talking about one Jake Fromm play. He makes one play, a lot of plays, but one big play to where we're going to be looking and going. It's the Kingslayer, just like Deshaun Watson, the Kingslayer to take down the defense of Alabama. I just think it's going to be a great game. And the reason, again, I, I pick Alabama is after watching the game last night, I, you can I, I saw that there, there's you can score some points against Georgia. Mm-hmm. You can score some points against Alabama too, but Alabama, if they come as strong as they did against Clemson, you they know, played with a chip on they, their they, shoulder. They, they did. I, I mean, I was... I was even surprised. I did not think that they would play that well, and they mm-hmm. played that well. That that was a good Alabama defense, and and if they are able to bring that against Georgia, it's it's going to be it's going to be tough to get things going for the Bulldogs. But again, Georgia's Georgia's a powerhouse when it comes to running the football. They've got two guys that are household names and are very very good. They've made a name for themselves, that's for sure, and they're they're a great one two punch. And that's why this is going to be really, really good. But that's also, you know, why I pick Alabama is because I think Alabama can slow them up. Well, this is where you guys come in. Let us know who do you guys got down below. What are you looking at for this championship game? What did you think of the semifinal games? Anything that we talked about in this kind of semifinal recap slash national championship preview? Let us know what you guys think. A little bit of housekeeping here at the end. If you like what we've done. Today on the podcast, make sure to support us at patreon.com backslash most valuable podcast. You want to be on a podcast like Matthew will, like Jake is, like Christian, like Patrick. Our $10 tier is the one to go. You can be on a podcast with us talking about the topic that you would like to talk about. We're also selling MVP shirts, $22 a piece. That information is down below in the description. Then also, if you're on iTunes, you have an iTunes account please give us a five-star rating. It would really mean the world to us. And then if you could do the same for the onside kick, the Rick and Johnny podcast and the fast break, 
It would really mean a lot to us. I want to thank you guys for checking out today. Big board and national championship in, well, playoffs in college football. You can't get any better than that. But I want to thank you guys for either watching or listening. And as always, have a good day, everybody. Thank you for listening to this MVP podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Most Valuable Pod for more great podcasts. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.